Amen. You can be seated, and we'll dismiss our kiddos to the back. Who are they going with? Miss Tracy back there. While they're doing that, let me invite you to open your uh, Bibles, if you brought one. Let me fix this mic real quick. Your Bibles or your app or however you follow along to uh, Acts chapter um, 11. Acts chapter 11, and we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at Barnabas today, and I'm super excited. Uh, the next three sermons right might really be some of my favorite in the book of Acts. Um, my favorite character, maybe in all the Bible, of course, except maybe Jesus is Barnabas, and uh, maybe my favorite biblical character. And it's probably because uh, most people don't know much about him, um, so I'm excited to look at him today. Next week. Uh, we're talking about the power of prayer in the early church. We're also going to start a new uh, 30-day initiative um, called By Name, uh, where we're going to encourage you to pray by name for people that God has placed around you and in your path, that God would do something really unique in their life in 30, those 30 days. And then we're going to look at maybe the most effective church in the New Testament the following week, um, this church at Antioch, that we'll see some even about them today. Um. And as we start today in our passage, as we had kind of the scripture reading, we're jumping into the middle of this context of the gospel going out to the Gentiles. And if you missed Weston's sermon last week, please get it, because it really sets the stage really from this point forward in the book of Acts. And so that was kind of like the the hinge point last week. And if you miss this idea of um, the gospel for all people, you miss a lot. Let me say a quick prayer for us as we... Um, prepare our, our, our hearts to hear from God today. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, the truth of your word, um, for the gift of preaching, for Holy Spirit, that you do the work of illumination. Um, as we hear it, may it not just hear it with our ears, but um, in our hearts, and may it produce a difference in our life. Pray that the uh, seed of your word, Father, would fall on uh, fertile ground. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our uh, focus today is going to be the second half of uh, chapter 11. Let me read that for you quickly, um, and then we'll catch us up with context and then look at Barnabas. It says in verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except for the Jews. It's an important phrase. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this report, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found them, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stole up, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the, all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The story here, as I said a moment ago, was really a continuation of the major shift in the church that started last week. The doors are opening for the Gentiles to receive the gospel. And this is nothing new, as Weston laid out last week. This is the plan all through, even the prophets. Isaiah talked about it. Jeremiah talked about it. Um, It was the promise given to Abraham way back in the beginning. It was the promise given to Adam and Eve um, in the very beginning. So this has been the heart of God, that the gospel would go out to all people. Now, when we hear that, we don't hear it as scandalously as they heard it. 
right? This is not as world-changing to us because we're on the other end of that. But to this, to the Jews, this was such a huge ordeal. For 1,400 years, there had been this misconstrued idea that God loved the Jews more than all the others. And although the Jews do have a very unique place in the story of God, no doubt, and we don't have time to get into all that today, but God's heart has always been for the nations, and Luke makes this very apparent by using the word all about 10 times in, in, these, in chapters 10 and uh, 11. In verse 36, he says that Jesus is the Lord of all. In verse 38, Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil, which included the Gentiles, tax collectors, Roman soldiers, prostitutes. And then Peter ends his sermon this way in verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that all who believe in him receive forgiveness of sin through his name. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. We were talking about this in the office this week. Just this, I love this verse because it's so incredible. It just shows the simplicity of faith. There's no ceremony. There's no prayers even. No coming forward for baptism. Uh, no, no seat of waiting. There was no like official call. Just as the gospel goes forward, it says, these people believed and the Holy Spirit began to fall on them. Just faith and the message of Jesus Christ dying for your sins. Isn't that incredible? Conversion happens when you believe that Jesus has died for you and you embrace that as your own. Sometimes this happens when someone's preaching. Sometimes this happens when you're praying in uh, your bed alone at night. Sometimes it happens through conversation. It doesn't have to be this ceremonial thing necessarily. Necessary, and, and I love this about our church. In the history of our church, there's been very few people who've ever come to me after a service and received Christ as their Lord. Now, it has happened, but more often than not, of the people who've made some kind of confession of faith through, through our church, it's happened in community group, it's happened coffee with a friend, it's happened at KCS, it's happened in places like that, and I love that. This is not something where, you know, you have to go to the expert to explain this to you. And certainly we want to be as pastors and teachers a gift in some of this. But just the simplicity of faith. So chapter 11 starts, and this is what we read in our uh, scripture reading, Justin read, of Peter going back and giving a report to all the other Jewish believers. It says first that they were offended that he even, you know, brought this thing up. And so he starts telling them, if you remember uh, early on, we don't have time to cover it all, about the dream he had and preaching to Cornelius. And then he says in verse 15 of chapter 11, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave these the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed, who was I to stand in God's way? What an incredible statement. What an incredible statement of humility, of um, just trust in who God is. He's doing something so radically different than Peter would have ever even thought possible. And yet he's following the power, following the leading of the Holy Spirit as he's doing this. And that brings us to our focus today. And we're introduced to this guy named Barnabas. This is not the first time we've seen him, but I want to talk about five qualities we see in Barnabas. Um, and how uh, prayerfully that we would see those in our own lives. And the first is within the same context of what's happening. Barnabas was a man who showed no partiality. He defended the right to be different. This is one of two occasions that Barnabas steps forward to aggressively defend ministry to the Gentiles. Now Barnabas wasn't a Gentile himself. He was a Jew from the uh, priestly Levite tribe says from the island of Cyprus. And I can't imagine that Barnabas was all that comfortable with it. As a matter of fact, we see uh, him falling back into sin later on in Galatians 2 as Paul addressed him and Peter together. But Barnabas, again, was a full-on Jew, but he was not willing, he was willing not only to make a paradigm shift here, but was willing to put his reputation and even his life on the line to defend these new brothers and sisters in Christ. Barnabas was a man of incredible courage. 
it must have struck to him that something quite strange that all these people wanted to follow the Jewish Messiah, yet were unwilling to become full-on Jews. And it must have been uncomfortable and disconcerting to show up in Antioch, a place that's foreign to you. And when they got together to have potluck meals, everybody's bringing, you know, a honey-baked ham or something. And that would have been so offensive. All of those things are really good. Because of Barnabas here, we eventually see the church at Antioch uh, being planted. And it becoming arguably the most powerful Christian church in the first century. Certainly the first missional church. Antioch would have been the third largest city um, in the Roman Empire. Think uh, similar to Chicago today. Many cultures living there. And we're going to see that church just really blossom. But you see that Barnabas was a bridge builder. That's what he tried to do. He he was going to the apostles, and he was going to these early Gentiles, and they trust him enough to send him to Antioch, and his report had a great weight even to the other apostles themselves. He was a bridge builder. And I think here's the lesson for us. Don't confuse I don't like with God doesn't like. Don't confuse I don't like my preferences with God doesn't like. Now, we see so many fractures in the church because of these. We get these two mixed up. Now, it's okay to have opinions. Everyone does. And even in, even in here, we have opinions. And that's fine. But I've seen so many churches divided because we got these two. Some of you are passionate about homeschooling, and you think that's the only thing to do. And some of you are passionate about public schooling, and that's the, that's the only thing that we, should, that we should be doing. Some of you are passionate about Christian schooling, and that's the only It's great to have your opinion. But don't confuse I don't like with God doesn't like. And if we can avoid those two, I think we can see God do this incredible work in the lives of people who aren't necessarily just like us. We want to be in tune with the heart of God and not our preferences. Listen, the gospel is offensive enough for us to go around waving other banners other than the gospel, only discredits our testimony, and only builds walls instead of bridges. And this is a thing that's heavy on my heart as I was thinking about and praying about that this week, even for our church. So many of us are so quick to go on some kind of rant about something that's important to us, but we do that We're passionate enough about it to rant about it, but not passionate enough to pray about it, to fast for it, to call others to rally around us, to pray through this thing. No, we live in a society where if it's just on my heart or on my mind, I'm going to blow out this rant about it so that everyone can know where I stand. And I'm so glad that this didn't happen in the early church because I don't think we would have had Antioch. But Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, goes down there with this idea that I want to go and build a bridge to these people and see what God is really doing. Barnabas was willing to move past his preferences and focus on this real priority of people coming to know Jesus and being discipled. Second thing we see, not only was he a man who showed no partiality, we see about Barnabas It's really the first thing we learn about him in the book of Acts is he was known for his financial generosity. It's the first thing we know, and it's actually also what got him the nickname Barnabas. His real name was Joseph. He bursts onto the scene in Acts 4 as the church just begins to grow in Jerusalem, and they had all these people that had come in for Passover that had um, become Christians through Pentecost, and they didn't go back home to their town. They just stayed right there where they didn't have jobs and they had a lot of needs. And so the first guy on the scene, we see Barnabas selling something that was rare to have a field in that day, selling it and laying the money at the apostles' feet. And it seems that this wasn't an isolated act. Barnabas must have been doing this frequently of this just generosity He received this nickname from the apostles that means son of encouragement. Apparently, when you start selling your stuff to help others, word gets around. Matter of fact, at the end of uh, Acts, we actually see that uh, Barnabas is actually referred to as one of the apostles. Church tradition tells us that he was part of the 70 that was sent out um, 
by Jesus. It's no accident that Barnabas is introduced by a story highlighting his generosity. And it's an important window into his character. The opposite of generosity is stinginess. Stingy people sabotage ministry instead of furthering ministry. These are the consumer-only mentality. And the best way to overcome stinginess is through the discipline of giving, not just money. But you see in Barnabas, and we're fixing to see, that he gave away his power and his fame and his prestige and his preferences. He was always saying, listen, this is not about me. This is about something so much bigger and greater than me. His financial generosity, another thing that we see is he focused on anointing and not pedigree. Maybe you remember this a couple chapters ago when Saul, this greatest persecutor of the church, has this Damascus Road experience. Look at it with me in Acts chapter 9. Just shortly after this happened in verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he, talking about Saul, attempted to join the disciples. I just, I just love this scene. Like, what are they doing? Like, he finds them in the room somewhere, and they're like, oh, no, there's, there's Saul. <clears throat> they were all afraid of him, for they didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Paul focused on what God was doing through him. He focused on anointing, not not his past. He focused on what God was doing through him now, not what Saul had done in the past. Barnabas was able to see past all of Paul's past and dial into the amazing things that God had done and was doing in Paul's life now. And the spiritual fruit ultimately that backed it up. He wasn't the, we've always done it this way guy in the meeting He was walking with the Lord and accepted Paul because of what God was doing in Paul's life now. Not what he had done in the past. Do you see this kind of potential in people? Or do you quickly discredit them because of a bad initial impression or maybe just the pattern that you've seen in their life? Let me tell you where this is so dangerous for us is with people we grew up with and people that are in our families. That we've seen the cycle that they've gone through where they get all excited and they get their life right and they fall back into it again and again. And sometimes the word comes to us again that their life has been transformed or they've had some other and we quickly discredit what God's doing without any investigation at all. And I'm not saying we run blindly into people, relationship circles where we've been abused in that at all. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying what Barnabas was able to do is look at the fruit in Paul's life. And he had the courage to take him shoulder to shoulder. They walk into the apostles and he argues on Paul's behalf. Without Barnabas, you likely don't even have Paul. Now I know God's sovereign and he could have done it any other way. But isn't it crazy with this guy, Barnabas? You don't have the greatest church in the New Testament, Antioch. You don't have the greatest missionary in the New Testament, Paul. And you don't have probably the first gospel that we receive in John Mark. We're going to see that in a minute. Without Barnabas, and none of us really even know who he is. Here's another quick thing about Barnabas is that he was quick to forgive. I mentioned John Mark earlier in Acts 15. <clears throat> They've gone out on a missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas has, and, um, and uh, John Mark went with them, but somewhere along the way, it got a little costly, and that's understandable. You know, Paul was getting beat to death in almost every city he was in. Like, the young intern doesn't want to hang around for that anymore. Like, Paul can do it. Hey, I'm going home to mom. I want to go find a youth internship job at some mega church where I can just, like, ease into this thing. I mean, you ever read that list when Paul's given the defense that I've been, you know, beat so many times and shipwrecked at sea and, you know, chased by dogs? Like, all that just sounds terrible. It says in, in Acts 15, verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, this is after their first missionary journey, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. They're going to do a follow-up trip. 
Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And there rose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas, departed. Also Luke went with them, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went to Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. It's the same spirit of forgiveness from Barnabas that benefited Paul so greatly early on is what eventually led to this nasty split between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance. And that's just like Barnabas to do this. You know, you can imagine the conversation between Barnabas and Paul. You know, like, he was young. You were getting beat in every city. It was a little extreme. Let's give him another chance. And you can hear the retort by Paul. Like, this guy's a loser, right? He's just, he gave up. He's a deserter. We want nothing of him. Paul said, no way. Paul went on his way. Barnabas took John Mark and set sail for Cyprus, never to be heard from again in the pages of Acts. Well, mostly the reason is because Luke went with Paul, and he's the one that wrote the book. So we get to see, and there are probably just as many chapters about what what Barnabas and Mark was doing. Yet on this one time, it seems like Time has vindicated Barnabas, not Paul, because shortly before his death, Paul sought a special visit from John Mark. He says in 2 Timothy, would you send John Mark to me because I find him to be useful. And far more importantly, God could use John Mark and chose him to write the second gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I consider writing the Bible a pretty prestigious assignment. Looks like Barnabas made the right choice to give Mark, a second chance so quickly. Barnabas was just quick to forgive. And if I can be honest, I I want it to appear like I forgive quickly. I just don't. If you've hurt me in some way, I just kind of write you off for life, you know, like, you know, stay away from that person. This is incredible work by the Holy Spirit. I love that Jeff mentioned this in this little story of this, he calls this guy a young kid who's like in his mid-twenties. He was telling me this story about this young kid and he said he's married. I'm like, what did he get married at like 15? This is crazy. This guy in his mid-twenties that's working at KCS and God starts moving in his heart and they're just praying together, not even doing these extensive Bible studies and the Holy Spirit convicts this young guy who's not even been really discipled in the word very much, just kind of hanging around Jeff and some of those guys being prayed for. The Holy Spirit convicts him of this spirit of unforgiveness towards his sister. And so he just goes up and just forgives her, which one, only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. The Spirit is what enables us to forgive. I've been in the room where young kids who have been abused by parents and family members, have walked across the room and forgiven them. It's unbelievable. This is something only the Holy Spirit can do. Being quick to forgive doesn't mean ignoring sin. It doesn't mean someone gets a platform in the immediate backwash of their sin and repentance. But it does mean seeing people through the lens of what God is doing in their life now. It does mean seeing people the same way that God sees us. Desperate need of forgiveness on and on. How many times do we repent but yet fall again into sin? What did Jesus even say to his disciples of how often we should forgive? Right? Just continue and continue and continue to forgive. I can't help but think that there's probably people in our lives that we've not stepped up to forgive. I mean, real forgiveness. Forgiveness is not, is not saying, hey, I'll never, um, I, I'll forget this as soon as I forgive you. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to bring this up against you again. I'm just going to kind of lay down the rope here. I'm going to quit fighting against you. And we get into some kind of heated conflict in the future. I'm never bringing this up again. That's real forgiveness. 
I've given this to the Lord. I'm asking him to heal the wounds in my heart. That's forgiveness. And I can't imagine in a church this size that there's not this relational stuff in our lives that we need to go and address. Isn't that what even Jesus says? If you come down to the altar to worship and you realize that you have something against your brother or sister, I don't want to hear, from, I don't want to hear your singing anymore. I want you to go and deal with it. I want faith to have legs and take action and you go and restore that relationship. And I think a lot of us prevent the Holy Spirit from working in our lives because we say no at that point. Because we argue with God about the pain that has been caused to us. Or can you believe what they've done? And it doesn't even mean that the person who offended you has to even have a repentant heart. That's between them and God. I love, again, in Jeff's story, this guy just goes to his sister and says, Listen, I just want you to know I, I forgive you of these things. I'm not going to bring them back up again. I'm, I'm letting that go. And then she melts and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work. Church, we have no idea what's on the other side of a prompting of the Holy Spirit. We have no idea. And we want to clench on to unforgiveness and bitterness because by clenching on to it in some way that, 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 that we're going to prove to this person by giving them the silent treatment and looking at them every time we see them with these you know, these weird looks, and we, we want them to feel the coldness between us. Every time we do that, it's like we're hurting them in some way, and that's going to make us feel better. You know what Jesus says? Hey, listen, just as I have forgiven you, you go and forgive. As a matter of fact, if you don't have a spirit of forgiveness inside of you, it's likely pointing to that you've never really received forgiveness from me in the first place. Because if you've understood the offense of your sin, and the length that God went to forgive you of that. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you, if you understand the offense of your sin and the love that God had towards us through that, then we would take steps of forgiving others. It would just be natural for us. I can't help to think that the Holy Spirit is limited in what he can do through us because we have a spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness. And that is certainly not what we see Barnabas. Here's one more thing, and this is maybe the most impressive to me. Is that Barnabas was willing to step out of the spotlight. He was willing to step aside and take second billing. In Acts 13 and 14, perhaps the most amazing thing about Barnabas is his willingness to step aside from the leadership role and just be one of Paul's helpers. From the beginning up to this point, every time we see the two together, it's Barnabas and Saul. If you've studied the Greek language at all, you know the, the order in which the, the, these nouns are being used are important in the Greek. The most important things are used first. So it's Barnabas and Saul and Barnabas and Saul, and we're going to do this with Barnabas and Saul. It says in Acts 13, we're going to get to this in a couple of weeks, in verse 2, while they were worshiping, these are the, the elders at the church at Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work I have called them to do, and after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And that becomes the first missionary journey, which they go and plant these churches. Then later on in 13, Paul pulls off this powerful miracle, calling out this false prophet, actually casting, uh, you know, the it blindness on him for a time. And in doing so, it's this uh, this delivers this anointed and convicting message and this high-ranking official gets, uh, gets saved, leads to salvation for this prominent leader. And from that point on, it's not Barnabas and Saul, it's Paul and Barnabas. Look, just even in the same chapter in verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail. He's not even mentioned again. Barnabas went from like the leader who actually in our passage went out of his way, went to Antioch, approved of it, went out of his way to Tarsus to get, to get Saul, Saul of Tarsus, bring him back into the fold, start training him, the mentor and the mentee. They become the leaders in this church at Antioch. They're commissioned and sent out. And then through God's design, they 
switch places. And Paul becomes the most prominent one. He becomes the mentor. And I can just say this from so many years in ministry. This just does not happen in the church. It's just unbelievable how many pastors and church leaders have this ego thing. Where their name's got to be on everything. Or they got to have some kind of fancy uh, title about something. It's, but not for Barnabas. This was just no big deal for him. Apparently he had no problem with it. Moving from the spotlight to behind the scenes. He must have realized that Jesus wasn't kidding when he said the path to greatness is found through serving others. He must have known that the mission in front of them was far more important than his own status or what he puts on a business card. Or even thousands of years later, most of us know Paul. We do not know Barnabas. Let me say this. The posture of humility is a position of power. The posture of humility is a position of power. We see that in the life of Barnabas. We certainly have seen all of these characteristics we've seen perfected in Jesus. What we're seeing here, what we're watching is Barnabas takes on the likeness of Jesus. This is a process of sanctification and maturation. We're just seeing it in front of our eyes in the book of Acts as he's Growing in the likeness of Jesus. It says in in our passage that he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And the Holy Spirit is doing this work in him. Conforming him into the likeness of Jesus. Just as he prayerfully is doing in your life. Listen, there's, there's no one in this room that's arrived. There's no one that is in some place where we can stop growing there's no one who's, who's we've, got, we've got everything together. No, we're just growing more and more in the likeness of Jesus again and again. And I pray that that continues to happen. Because there's no one more generous than Jesus. We see that Barnabas was generous, but no one more generous than Jesus. Jesus was generous in coming to live with us in human likeness and dying on a cross and giving his life a ransom for many. De- defines the word generous for us. And no one was more forgiving than Jesus. Even while hanging on the cross, praying to his father that that he would forgive those that were doing this very thing to him, offering salvation to the thief on the cross next to him. It says, John chapter 3 and verse 17, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's no one more inclusive than Jesus. Read the gospel of Luke. The hero of every parable is the outcast or the outsider. There's no one more humble than Jesus. Love that passage in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I don't think we can look at a character like Barnabas certainly modeling and growing in the likeness of Jesus without maybe me giving us some pastoral applications for our lives. My prayer for us this week is that we would have the kind of impact that Barnabas has had that maybe no one would know about us. In the books of church history, no matter where we're going in the future, we might not have a, even, a, even a footnote in there, but that God would use us in incredible ways to extend the gospel because of what he's doing in us. First, that we would be full of faith. First application for us is that we would be full of faith. That our faith would grow as we walk with Jesus, as we recount as the psalmist did of all that God has done in the past and the lives of my forefathers and all that God has done in my life up to now. It's amazing to me how paralyzed we can get with fear just with one bad phone call or one bad report or one, or, or one negative interaction with someone. All of a sudden our faith is just melted into fear. I pray that we would be people of great faith and not fear. That we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul says, that we would continue to be filled 
Continue to strive to be filled with the Spirit and yield to the Spirit's leading in your life again and again. Be filled with the Spirit instead of your spirit. Instead of the Spirit that you carry around that's fractured by sin. Be filled with the Holy Spirit that we would be honest about our sin. We see that in the life of Barnabas. I I know we didn't read it. In Galatians 2, it talks about How when Peter had come to visit, that Peter and Barnabas together had started meeting with the, pulling themselves back from the Gentiles and eating only with the Jews. They went to the cool table. Paul dressed them and it says that they were quick to repent. Friends, don't play religious games and act like that there's nothing in your life that needs to be repented of. I don't know where we got this idea that repentance was like a bad word in the church. This would be just the constant rhythm of our life as we look in Scripture and we see that it's be perfect as I am perfect and we look at ourselves and we see that we fall so far short of that and that shouldn't make us feel like, you know, that, that we don't belong. It should just drive us to confession and repentance and thankful that salvation is not based upon our own work or merit. We would be honest about our sin quick to repent and quick to move forward and quick to restore people that we've hurt, that we would be humble. Yeah, be humble. Humility is not a feeling. It's not like low self-esteem. Humility is not a feeling. This is, the Bible calls us to this over and over, and it calls us to it in, in words of action. In Ephesians 4, 2, it says, to be humble, literally put on humility. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, humble yourself. Humility is willingly preferring the needs of others above your own. That's humility. Not when I'm arguing with my spouse and I'm demanding myself to be right and I'm demanding that she know that I'm right. That's arrogance and pride. Humility is preferring others' needs above your own. And again, it's not a feeling. This is something the Holy Spirit does and it's a willful step that you take. I'm willfully humbling myself. And lastly, maybe as a pastoral application, that we would just point people to Jesus. That was the theme of the life of Barnabas. Pointing people to something that was so far greater than himself. I love what it says in verse 23 of our passage in chapter 11. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He could have been so offended, just like the, the, just like the circumcision group earlier in the previous chapter. He was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I don't know if there's any greater prayer that I have for us, that we would be faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That we wouldn't be sidetracked by all the preferences that I've talked about. And, 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 and we, wouldn't, we would ignore the promptings of the Spirit because of unforgiveness in us. That we wouldn't look past people because they have a, a past. But that we would remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And that purpose is knowing God and making him known. That's why we're here, church. And as Weston alluded to earlier, not to, not to build bigger crowds. I pray that Sunday gathering just stirs your affection and reminds you of your identity and maybe even gives you some tools so that we can go back into the world and we can live intentionally on purpose every day. I love this phrase, steadfast purpose. Let me pray for us. And we're going to take communion in a minute, and I pray this is just one more thing that would bring you great encouragement, reminding you of the, just the increasing debt of your sin, but the joy of our Savior who loved us so incredibly much that he was willing to die for our sins take that 
consequence of sin upon himself so that we could be accepted. But I want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit, even at this very moment, would begin to push on things in your heart and life that are out of balance, that are out of whack. Maybe it's a priority preference thing. Maybe it's an unforgiveness thing. Maybe it's a not yielding to the spirit thing. Maybe it's a discrediting people thing. Maybe it's a sin of racism and the lack of impartiality. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, as you begin to work in us and you know our hearts, not the face that we put on when we come in here, not, the, not knowing the right words to the songs. Lord, you know our heart on our best days and darkest days. You know, and Holy Spirit, you are committed to conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And you're working on us now. Your kindness is leading us to repentance. Holy Spirit, would you specifically point out the thing in our lives that's keeping us <clears throat> from taking a step of faith, that's keeping us, maybe that we're being the hindrance to what God, you're doing in the world, would you reveal that to us and grant us faith that we could repent of that and move past it? Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray for freedom in our lives. That Satan has intentionally used bitterness and used past hurt to create strongholds in our lives. And we, we, we've not been able to see you work. And many of us have not heard you speak to us in years and years and years because this stronghold the enemy has built up. But your word tells us that you're stronger than the strong man. And where the spirit of the Lord is, that there's freedom. And that as you have set us free, then we are free indeed. Or maybe some of us just need to take a step out of this covering of condemnation that we're being defined by some mistakes that we made in the past. And Lord, we've given those to you. And you've paid the penalty for those sins so that we could live lives without condemnation. May we walk in such freedom today. God, and certainly in this room, there are people who've been playing games for a long time, but they've never stepped across a line of faith and went all in with you. And I pray, Father, that happens today for salvation of souls, for your lost sons and daughters coming home. Lord, do what you want today through your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I'll give you some time to pray, and when you're ready, the communion servers are here. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate. We ask you to take some time and confess any known sins and have a clear conscience. And then when you're ready, come and take. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. There's a couple other pastors are probably normally back there. Come when you're ready.
and all the hearts who walk its end and all who feel unworthy and all. 